and welcome to Talking Migration. I'm Clara Sandlin, I'm a lecturer in political theory at the University of Manchester. COVID-19 has presented challenges for everyone, but some people are more affected than others. People with disabilities, for example, have not been able to socially distance to the extent that others can, and trying to do so may impose extra costs. For disabled asylum seekers, who in the UK are prevented from working and earning a living, this also presents additional and significant challenges. With me to discuss this is Dixon Tanongo, who has written an article on the topic for Migrant Voices. Dixon Tanongo uh, is just starting a PhD in law at the Leicester University, working on disability rights and citizenship. He also volunteers for the British Red Cross as well as the Coventry Refugee and Migrant Centre. Just before we start, I'd like to make you aware that a couple of times during the recording, the connection is a little bit lost and the sound quality a little bit poor, but this only lasts for a few seconds each time, so please bear with us. So I started by asking Dixon Tanongo what difficulties disabled asylum seekers face in general. So uh, generally, uh, the UK has uh, the Equality Act, and that placed persons with disabilities uh, on equal level with any other person. Uh, however, uh, the principle of equality uh, does not apply to people who seek uh, asylum in the United Kingdom. And what that means is uh, persons with disabilities who seek asylum in the United Kingdom are treated just like any other person. And as a result, uh, it's difficult for them to uh, assess the environment it's difficult for them to live uh, life and enjoy life like any other person. Um, as you may know, uh, the UK has a very hostile environment for uh, asylum seekers generally. Now, for a person with a disability, it means uh, double jeopardy. You suffer the discrimination or the challenge of an asylum seeker. And secondly, you suffer as a person with disability who is not uh, supported to be able to cope uh, with the challenges that comes with disabilities. So in a nutshell, uh, people with disabilities uh, uh, go through the environment uh, for people with disability when it comes to seeking asylum is very hostile, maybe four times uh, that of uh, people who are not disabled. And it posed a very challenge to uh, their basic fundamental human rights as people with disabilities. For instance, uh, people who seek asylum are entitled to, uh, let's say, £37 a month. The same thing applicable to people with disabilities, uh, and maybe those who even stay in a hotel are entitled to £20 a month. The same thing applicable to persons with disabilities. Whereas the challenge is, an able-bodied person can decide to go to the city center or to the market without necessarily taking a taxi. But the person with disability will have to do that. A person with disability who is on a wheelchair who wants to go to the barbing salon or, uh, or, or go to do shopping, we have to use a taxi which could cost uh, approximately, let's say, uh, £12 uh, going and £12 coming back. That's already £20, uh, uh, £24. And the money you are getting in a home month is uh, 12, uh, and 20 pounds. But an able-bodied person can easily take a bus, uh, get a ticket, 
uh, a, a, a day saver at four pound and is left with 16 pounds that could enable him to do shopping. So you can see that at the end, it, the disabled person does not have anything and he won't be able to navigate or move around and uh, have what it takes to live uh, a conventional life or a life of an independent person. So basically, uh, a disabled person will have to depend uh, on charity, depend on, on, on sympathizers, uh, and his situation becomes more challenging. I didn't know that the uh, Equality Act didn't apply. Um, is that because it only applies to uh, citizens? Uh, you see, there's something that I want to point out very clearly. It is quite difficult uh, to allude to some of those things that I mentioned because there is what is called de facto discrimination, which is not on the face of it. It's difficult to prove this, uh, some of those discriminations. Uh, these discriminations are cleverly hidden, and it's only someone who is speaking from the victim point of view that will be able uh, to point them out. But in reality, it may be difficult to prove some of those uh, discrimination uh, 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 policies that are put in place because uh, they, they seem to be covered. The, the, the law sometimes says this, but in reality, it is neither here nor there. So uh, when I mention this, I wouldn't be surprised that uh, the right of asylum seekers with disabilities may be taken care by law, which are written in a, a policy or, 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 or on a legal document, legal instrument. However, in reality, uh, those that are to be beneficiary of such policies or such provisions, they do not enjoy that. So this, that's why I call it de facto discrimination. So it's not on the face of it, but deep there, if you speak from an experience point of view, or if you happen to experience it, it's obvious. So do you think it's because asylum, um, disabled asylum seekers don't generally have um, a voice or a say in the policy making that um, this form of discrimination isn't visible? Yes, I, I think two things uh, may be the leading factors. One, racism. Because most of people who seek asylum are people from uh, the black Asians communities, people of the color, and the discrimination, the, 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 the racial discrimination have a way of playing along this line. And second, uh, by nature of persons with disabilities, they happen to be among the most vulnerable groups. Uh, However, their voices are missing when it comes to policy formulation or when it comes to issues that have to do with uh, their welfare or their human rights. So, in, in, in a nutshell, um, disability rights seems uh, to be uh, missing in action. Uh, oftentimes, you can see that on black and white, written in law books, written in policies of government, but the implementation is totally not there. And I, I think that this is one missing gap uh, that uh, needs to be uh, bridged because uh, there is high need for policymakers, policy implementers to have a direct feedback 
from people uh, with disabilities so that they will be able to ascertain their situation and how are they coping with those policies. Are those policies really helping them to navigate through the process like any other person or are they left behind? And I think basically uh, uh, there's no feedback from uh, persons with disabilities. And I, I think it's an issue that the government may like to explore to see that there's a direct feedback uh, from people with disabilities. And this will help uh, to reshape those policies and make them more viable and bridge all the gaps where uh, it is perceived there is injustice. Thank you. Um, just to go back to um, to these um, to the sort of details of the situation for disabled asylum seekers. So you mentioned the um, monthly uh, allowance for asylum seekers and how that's not sufficient for uh, well for anyone really, but in particular for disabled asylum seekers because you mentioned like for example you have to take a taxi uh, and then that would be too expensive. Um, do you know, uh, do disabled asylum seekers receive any extra support in the UK? Um, and do you know, compared to other countries, um, well, whether there's a particular country that could be seen as best practice or any, how other countries, you know, support disabled asylum seekers? Yes, you see, to the best of my knowledge, uh, there is no extra support. And if there is, then maybe someone have to show me, show it to me. Uh, generally, we are treated, uh, both disabled persons, able-bodied are treated in a similar way. And uh, honestly, there is no fair ground. This, this, this is not equality because conventionally, it takes disability comes with liabilities. Managing disability comes with more expenses. It's an obvious fact. It is not something that you must prove scientifically. It's so easy to know that someone who needs to move around with taxi or who needs to move around with wheelchair or who needs to move around with maybe personal aids or personal assistance will spend more than somebody who does not need those facilities or those type of uh, aids to move around. So it is obvious. And it's now uh, should be the responsibility of those who plan for asylum seekers to make, to create allowance, to, to, to make that, uh, uh, to, to make a, a fair ground where both able-bodied persons and the disabled who seek asylum have a fair uh, opportunity because equality is equity. So given the situation, what impact has the COVID-19 um, outbreak had, um, had on disabled asylum seekers? You know, the pandemic, uh, coronavirus, is uh, airborne to a large extent and is very infectious. And it has to do with washing of hands. It has to do with keeping uh, hygiene. It has to do with uh, a highly sophisticated uh, hygienic environment. Now, disabled people generally, I'm talking about people who are on wheelchair, the blind, who, have, who we have to hold their hands on raise when trying to climb steps or who even if are trying to cross a major road, 
you have to touch the button to put the, the, the traffic lights on with your hands unlike everybody person that can easily jump through you have to uh, hold your hands on a wall or on the rail when you are trying to come down and when you are trying to maybe sit on your wheelchair or when you are using a cane for people who are visually impaired their hands help them to navigate through and as a result uh, disabled people seem to have physical contact with their environment more than any other person now what that entails is they need more money to be able to buy uh, let's say uh, globe hands globes and they also need more money to be able to buy less sanitizers and, and they need more money to be able to uh, be more loveless as a matter of fact in this time of pandemic i think disabled persons should be strictly on, on, on taxi it is more risk to expose them to public means of transportation by virtue of their vulnerability however people who seek asylum are disabled as you may know they are not entitled to benefit they can't even work even when they are qualified to work and they don't earn any money so the question now is where will they get money to buy hand glove? where will they get money to buy more sanitizers where will they get money to be on a taxi in order to to stop the, the, the exposure of, of their vulnerability to the general public so uh in in, 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 in in summary, people with disabilities are exposed to this coronavirus and their life is more at danger and it's also more expensive for them to maintain uh, adequate hygiene. And um, um, just a sort of a big question. Uh, you mentioned uh, earlier a few suggestions for how to change situation and uh, some suggestions to policymakers. Is there anything else that you think, any particular reforms that you would like to see to improve the situation for disabled refugees and asylum seekers? You just mentioned some uh, now in Corona uh, times, but also just more in general. Yes, I, I, I would like to suggest that first, one, um, People with disabilities should be given consideration. They should be given priority when considering the asylum claim. They shouldn't be allowed to wait for a long time before calling for interview. That's one. Their issue should be given priority and at least their matters should be concluded within three months in order to mitigate the pains which they are exposed to. That is one. Second, uh, people with disabilities should not be allowed to stay at emergency accommodation for too long. A situation where the disabled stay at emergency accommodation for six months, seven months, eight months is highly uh, unpalatable and it causes a whole lot of trauma. It causes a whole lot of challenges. The, the, the policy makers and policy implementers should know that disability come with depression of its own. Asylum itself is quite depressing. Now, when you merge the two together, uh, an asylum seeker is quite uh, in a very uh, challenging situation, pathetic situation. And as such, uh, the only way to mitigate uh, their double jeopardy, which come as an asylum seeker and as a person with disability, 
is to give them priority to decide their case on time, to enable them to uh, be integrated in the society uh, and continue to move uh, their, their life forward. Uh, third, another issue I may write, like to recommend is in other developed countries like Sweden, uh, Sweden uh, will permit anyone who seeks asylum to have the right to work. But a situation where uh, asylum seekers do not have right to work and their life is a kind of at a standstill, indefinite, is quite uh, challenging, is quite difficult, is quite traumatizing. But for everybody, persons, and even the disabled, it makes it even more worse. So the UK may like to relax uh, the rule that forbids uh, asylum seekers from working because it will also help to contribute to the, the national development. Uh, many people who seek asylum in the UK, um, and I know for sure, or many disabled people are people that are, can, can work and earn money and take good care of themselves instead of being a liability on the taxpayer's money. It will save the government a whole lot of money if the UK permit our asylum seekers to work while their cases are being uh, 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 considered. Uh, it is very funny and difficult to understand the situation where the government prefers to spend more money in keeping an asylum uh, seeker hostage than allowing him to work and be free and the government spend less. It does not make logic, it does not make sense to keep an asylum seeker in a hotel, spend over, let's say, 15,000 pounds to keep him there for a year, than keeping him in, a, in, 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 a, in, in a, an accommodation outside and spending less than, uh, let's say, 7,000 pounds to keep him for a year. It means saving more money, saving more taxpayers' money, which could be used for development and than wasting it on an accommodation in a hotel, which is quite expensive. So the government like to reconsider this type of policy that make them spend more, whereas they should have spent less. And as a matter of fact, when you keep an asylum seeker in a, an emergency accommodation for over a year, he's um, to a large extent violated because in a hotel or at emergency accommodation, as the case may be, you are not entitled to even choose the kind of food you want to eat. You are not entitled to choose when you want to go out. You are not entitled to uh, live an independent life. And that greatly uh, undermines some of your basic uh, fundamental rights. I think uh, UK as a democratic nation that believes in the rule of law that will uphold a human dignity, that uphold and promote as well as protect human rights, should not be probating and reprobating at the same time. You can't be a defender of human rights and then be a violator of human rights by the other hand. If we must take issues of human rights uh, to the next level, then uh, the, the, the hostile environment that is uh, made for uh, asylum seeker we have to be reconsidered. Uh, I, I want to put it very clearly to our audience that people who seek asylum are legitimately living in the UK because the United Nations subscribe or, or subscribe to the Refugee Convention 1951. And by virtue of that law, 
the virtue of the fact that UK have signed up to the Refugee Convention uh, 1951, it means anybody who legitimately seeks for asylum in UK is a free man until proven or uh, given his as if his asylum is denied, such a person can be sent back. But why the asylum is being considered, and the reason for the delay is not caused by the applicant. There is no reason whatsoever to subject the applicant to some of those ridiculous treatment, to subject the applicant to, to some inhuman uh, and undignified way of lifestyle. The, in, in, in a nutshell, I am saying the hostile environment is becoming a very challenging situation. And we have been hearing many people who are dying because of these challenges. We've been hearing people committing asylum seekers, committing suicide. We've been hearing those who are dying because of frustration, poverty, and anxiety. And from the look of things, from experience, more people may still die as a result of frustration, anxiety, and maybe more people may commit suicide because the environment keep on getting more challenging, keep on getting more depressing, keep on getting more difficult. The frustration is increasing day by day with uh, the, the, the pandemic, with uh, a coronavirus. It makes things more tougher for an asylum seeker. And there's a high reason for government to reconsider, to review those policies, to make them more human so that people who are meant to be beneficiary of the asylum process will not be seen as people who are condemned to death because they have applied for asylum. To the best of my knowledge, I want to believe that asylum, uh, seeking for asylum is not a criminal act. It's a legitimate act. These are people who have faced challenges in their various countries. These are people who have faced persecution or war and have been already depressed already. Now, coming to the UK, the general relief is always that, oh, finally, we are in a place where our lives are protected, we're in a place where we are accepted, we're in a place where we can live our normal life. However, the reality does not resonate with the hope of those who seek asylum. It often appears as if one is running from pillar to post, running from fire to more danger. Like what recently happened, uh, the far-right organizations came to the hotel knocking and saying they don't want asylum seekers in the UK. That was quite traumatizing for asylum seekers. That was quite uncalled for. That creates uh, anxiety among people who seek asylum in the UK. And it appears to many people who seek asylum that the security which they seek in the UK has been breached by the activities of the far right who go knocking on their doors, exposing them, taking pictures of them, making videos of them, and sharing it on public media at, at will. We believe, and we want to say this, that the government should be more responsible in protecting people who seek asylum here. Uh, the idea of people who seek asylum here being exposed to more danger is quite disturbing and quite traumatizing for asylum seekers.
You can find a link to Dixon Tonong's article on disability asylum and COVID-19 in the episode description. And I will also post a link on our Twitter at Talking Migration. That was all for this time. Thank you for listening. Thank <laughs> you.